Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The main focus for this morning's preaching is the uh, the Agnus Dei, the Lamb of God canticle that leads us up to the altar for reception of Holy Communion. I want to preface this, however, with a, a bit of a word also about uh, the hymn that we sang right before the, uh, the children's message in the sermon, and that is that the, uh, the hymn, The Lamb, written by Gerald Coleman, has been part of, uh, part of our, our, uh, our congregation's life together for, uh, for quite a while since it was written. And its author, composer, Jerry Coleman, died uh, this last month. And uh, so it is a, a timely recognition of his contribution to the life of the church together with us, uh, both as a, an academic and as a theologian and as a pastor and as a mentor for many church workers who have, uh, who have come through our, our colleges and universities. Uh, so Jerry uh, was uh, uh, a, a churchman and a, and, a, and, a, and a gifted writer and poet as well as a, a, a good mentor for, for many of us. With that said, the, the text from John 1.29, while it forms the foundation of the Agnus Dei, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Jerry's poem, his hymn, does a really nice job of surrounding that text with a variety of other texts that help to inform what that lamb is all about. So we'll start with John 1, but then I'll also invite you to take a look with me at, at the hymn and sort through some of the layers of this image. Now, we have to be careful when we talk about Jesus in various ways, because sometimes we talk about him as a shepherd, a good shepherd, and sometimes we talk about him as a lamb, and it really is not good to mix metaphors, because is he the shepherd or is he a lamb, right? If you ever do that in your sermon in your first year at seminary, you'll get big red marks on it. By the way, just in case you were wondering, <laughs> mixing metaphors is one of those things. You're confusing people. You know, I think they can hang. <laughs> I, I think the Bible does this, and I think they can hang with it. But, you know, seminary props. That's the way they go. So... John 1.29. What is John the Baptist communicating in that moment? All right, so he's got disciples that are following him. They're learning about the kingdom of God. They're also learning about the fact that he is not the Messiah. He's been very clear that he's not the fulfillment of the hopes, that he is the guy who leads up to the guy. He is the guy who's preparing for the guy. He is the guy whose sandals he can't untie of the guy but that the guy is coming. He's right over the horizon. And when John points him out, he doesn't just say, look, that's Jesus. He's from Nazareth. He's the God, right? He says, behold, look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. Now that phrase blows the lid off of a couple of confining guardrails that would have been common in the mind of a first century good Jewish person reading the Old Testament. For example, how can a person be a lamb? That's step one. Second of all, what kind of a lamb are we talking about here? And third of all, it's for the sake of the whole world? So, the sacrificial system had deep roots. It went well back even before Moses. Went back even, really, before Abraham starts taking Isaac up the mountain of, of Mount Moriah. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel with the idea of the sacrifice and its, and its gift and its and its covering of the, uh, the sin of the world. So this is embedded for a long time in, in Christian culture and Christian belief, people of God believe, right? So much so that people who are not Christians still imagine that such things need to happen, right? It's kind of embedded in the, the human idea about religion, that giving up something is good. Right? Sacrificing something is good. The challenge for us is that when we think it up ourselves, we're imagining that our sacrifice is doing something spiritual. When in fact, the sacrifice needs to come from God. The gift that covers sin has to have God as its source and isn't from us. We're trying to fill in a hole that we can't fill. We have this sense of guilt, of shame, of neediness, of insufficiency, which is absolutely true. But we imagine that there's something that, there's, that we can do or that we need to do to fill that hole. Well, we can shovel mounds and mounds and mounds of ourselves into that hole, and it just keeps disappearing. There's no way to fill that hole with anything that we've got to offer. It needs to be filled by God. So the debt that is owed to God can't be paid by us, even though we're the ones who are the debtors. So what does God do? God himself provides the sacrifice. God himself provides the lamb. And there he is. The lamb that was offered in place of Isaac at the top of the mountain instead. Actually, a ram was offered in place of Isaac. But the sacrifice there that was offered in place of Isaac. The lamb that was killed at the Passover in order to pay the price for the people of Israel as God's firstborn son. A firstborn for a firstborn. And so the firstborn son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, pays the price to create an entire new people of firstborns along with him, heirs of the kingdom of God. The Lamb of God, Jesus himself, serves to fill our need. 
serves to fill the hole that we've dug. And he does so by going to his cross and dying the death that we deserve to die, but doing it in our place and then handing it back to us as a gift. This is for you. It actually serves as your death so that your death is not a payment of wrath to God, but an entrance into the presence of God that the Lord Jesus has already prepared for you. And so the Lamb of God transforms all of those things that relate to sin and death for the forgiveness of those sins and for the gift of eternal life. But he does that not just for the people of Israel, right? Not just for the people of God who have, have grown up with and heard the promises, but is in fact done this for the whole world. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Objectively, from God's perspective, every sin of every person, of every time and every place has been paid for. There is no limit to what the blood of the Lamb accounts for with respect to human sin. Subjectively, it's a promise that needs to be held on to, a promise that needs to be heard, believed, trusted, and grabbed hold of. So it's there for all, and yet not all believe. So we pray and hope that through our work and through our ministry, more and more will come to know the gift that God has already prepared for them so that they might receive it. Now that happens here and that happens there and it happens all kinds of places. We have our own, we have our own Jerusalem right here. We have our own Samaria out there. We have the ends of the earth as well. And some of you, some of you have come from many and various places and some of you have gone to many and various places. Missionary Paris is with us today. Missionary Paris is a brother to Martha Strong. She used to be a Paris. Uh, and her brother is featured in the LCEF magazine this month as well. So check that out as well. Uh, the principal of one of our Lutheran schools. But Missionary Paris is here to share with you about work being done in China later on this morning. During our fellowship hour while you get to eat all the wonderful things that people have brought to share today. And so this gift of God to the entire world doesn't say stagnant or static, but it is being given out and about to those who would come to Jesus and to know love and trust in him above all things. So in Jerry Coleman's poem, O Father, where's the sacrifice? Faith sees, believes. God will provide the Lamb of Price. Remembering Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham and Isaac are going up the mountain. God has commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son. This is the son who is the child of promise. This is to be the ancestor of the Messiah. This is the son that he had given to Abraham and Sarah finally after so many years of fulfilling the promise. And now the command is to sacrifice him, to give him back to the Lord. And so Abraham dutifully begins the work of doing that. They walk together. 
They look at the mountain now three days away. Interesting things happen on third days, isn't it? And so Isaac and Abraham then go together up the mountain, and it is Isaac who asks this question. Father, we have the wood for the sacrifice, we have the knife, but where's the lamb? And Abraham's word back to Isaac is, God himself will provide the lamb. Now in his own mind, what is going on? He's been commanded to slay his son as the sacrifice. Hebrews interprets this and says, Abraham was ready to do the sacrifice as he was commanded to do in the full knowledge that the God of heaven and earth who had given them this son by natural means could give this son back to him in a resurrection by supernatural means. He was ready in his heart and mind to do this work. And yet at the last moment, the Lord halts his knife. Hold up, Abraham. Hold up. Take a look around you and see that there is a substitute. And in that moment, he teaches all of us that though we deserve death, he has provided a way out. He has provided an escape hatch. He has provided the good news that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world stays the knife. That we are not condemned, but that Christ himself will be condemned. Verse 2 relates one perfect final offering. Let earth, and jo let earth join heaven his praise to sing. Here we're brought right to the cross. That Jesus himself dies on the cross for you and for me. The Lamb theology and the Lamb imagery embedded all the way through the various sacrificial systems of the Old Testament now comes to its completion, its head, its climax in the work of the cross. But the Son of God has now finished all of that necessary work. No more is sin just going to be covered and set aside in a box for later. Now it is cleansed. Now the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin so that it is dealt with in the way, the only way, that it can be dealt with by God, by his blood. Verse 3 takes us to Isaiah 53, the Old Testament lesson for Good Friday. As wayward sheep their shepherd kill, so still his will on our behalf the law to fill. We have all, like sheep, gone astray, each to his own way, and yet this servant of the Lord, this Lamb of God, like a sheep before its shears is silent, Isaiah writes, he completes the full will and law of God and then gives that to us as a gift. Not only his death, but his life as a gift to his people. So in our reading and singing together, all of these come together in Christ. He takes my sin and wretchedness. He lives, forgives. He gives me his own righteousness. Because I can't manufacture it myself, the perfect life that I need to present before God, he clothes me in Christ in my baptism. So that when the Father looks at me, he sees his son. He sees one of his own, one clinging to Christ. And in Christ, the welcome 
is provided. Singing about the Lamb of God on the way to the altar, then, is perfectly done, because now, not only do we recount for ourselves what the promise here is provided, but also the means by which I'm able to approach the very altar of God. The blood that was shed, that's how it paves the whole way for me to come forward and to be cleansed and to be united with him, participating with him in his own body and blood. Which leads us to the thanksgiving of not only the resurrection, but the ascended Lord Jesus Christ. That's our trajectory to the Lamb of God is where we're headed to gather around the Lamb's throne. Worthy is the Lamb whose blood was shed, whose death makes me his own. That Lamb is reigning on the throne. And Revelation 4 is full of praise, but then turns to weeping because the throne is empty still. Until in Revelation 5, verse 6, the Lamb shows up and is enthroned so that he can unseal the rest of God's will given for his people. The angels and archangels and all the company of heaven then shout out along with all the saints and all creatures and all creation to say that the Lamb is worthy because of what he has accomplished. So we come together as people of God here in the midst of the church militant to gather with those who are already in his presence and those angels serving us and him back and forth, their busy folks, to give him honor and praise for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. The Lamb on his throne gives us confidence to come to the altar because it is the sacrificial Lamb who has invited us. The Lamb of God who calls back to his disciples as they come charging out from John's ministry into, him's, into his so that he can turn around and simply say, Come and see. Follow me. Amen. The peace of God that passes all human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in faith towards Christ Jesus. Amen.